Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul warns us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Have you ever given serious thought as to exactly what or who the ancient biblical writer was referring to? Is this some kind of allegory or metaphor for evil, or is it something more? Have we taken Paul's warning seriously? And are we ready to tackle this subject and deal with wherever it leads us? Today we're going to dig deep in the words of our Bible and into biblical and world history. We're going to look for evidence of these principalities and rulers of darkness, This may be a bit uncomfortable for some of you because we're going to venture beyond allegory or myth and into a very real spiritual world that has been pushed aside by our modern 21st century enlightened world. Today we're going to talk about the gods of the ancient world and the gods we read about in our Bibles, the ones who continually snared the nation of Israel. Has our nation become modern day worshipers of these very same gods? After this break, let's talk about these gods and let's talk Torah. Long ago, God declared his redemptive plans for the world he created. Unfortunately, most people have ignored these plans. Now, as the end draws near, believers and non-believers are being irresistibly drawn to the celebration of the biblical feasts which outline God's plan of redemption for mankind in the world. If you found yourself curious about the biblical feasts and you want to know how and why Christians celebrate these holidays, read Declaring the End from the Beginning, Our Past and Future Revealed in the Biblical Feasts. In this book, author Kathy Martirosian delves into the history and culture surrounding the biblical feast days of ancient Israel as well as how Yeshua, our Messiah, has fulfilled four of these holy days in the past and how he will fulfill the other three when he returns. Visit TorahTalk21.com to purchase Declaring the End from the Beginning, our past and future revealed in the Biblical Feasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our podcast. We are once again very excited to be here. And once again, I'm going to open up by saying, Gary, I read a book. (laughs) How many times have I said that? No, many, and I've read the same one. That's right. And we're going to be talking about the dark side today, aren't we? Exactly. You know, um, probably many in our audience have also read this book. We're talking about the book called Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn. Mm -hmm. And um, Gary and I, um, you know, I've read others of Jonathan Kahn's book. I find this one to be probably the most compelling of all of them and I like the research that's really done and documented in it yeah I would I would agree I think this was the most thought-provoking um, and it's a very plausible explanation for the things that we're seeing in the world today so 
Yeah, I think this one may It's be almost a, like the only explanation because outside of that, it's like nothing makes any sense. Well, that's a good point. It's actually, actually it's insanity right. outside of, of the influences that we're about to talk exactly. about. Exactly. You know, so before we get started on this, this topic, and I, I will tell the listeners now, this may run a little bit longer. It is a, uh, a fairly... Um, in-depth topic that we wanted to make sure we hit on all of the important points to kind of uh, uh, lead us into the path of understanding these things. So it, it, it takes in a lot of different information, a lot of history, a lot of Bible verses. We're going to do a lot of that, mm-hmm. right? Which is and, important. And looking, at, and looking at history and historical accounts and so forth. But I want to just set the stage with something that we've talked about many, many times. And it's important to understand in this topic as well, is that our God is a God of patterns, We've talked about this many times. We've talked about the pattern of how darkness comes before light. We've talked about how God separates and divides. We've talked about Moses as a pattern for a future deliverer in Jesus Christ. But today we're going to look at a pattern that I think is so critical for understanding our topic. And this pattern, we're going to go back to the book of Exodus and the story of the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. And what we see in this pattern is that while the Israelites were still slaves to Pharaoh, God redeemed them Hmm. with the blood of the lamb. They did not have to do anything. He redeemed them with the blood of the lamb. Once they were redeemed, he brought them out of Egypt and he brought them to Mount Sinai. That's where they went. They just went straight there. So the God pattern is first comes redemption, then comes obedience, because that's what happened at Mount Sinai. That's what happened is they received the Torah. They learned how to serve the God of Israel. But what would happen if God redeemed us, but then we don't learn how to serve him. What would happen, right. Gary? I mean, chaos, chaos, right? <laughs> well, We're all free running around, right. doing whatever. Wait, what's that verse? Everyone, Everyone did, did what was right, right in their, their own, own eyes, it's, it's right? Yes, yes. That's what possibly. would happen. And we see in the book um, of Exodus exactly what they did. They built that golden calf mm. because that's what they knew. That's what they knew. You know, he, Moses hadn't been gone that long. That's right. Exactly. And they <laughs> hadn't been out of Egypt very long No, either. and that's it. We talked often about the fact that they still had a slave mentality. Absolutely. But you just mentioned it a, a moment ago. It's all they knew. And and they were about to be trained. They were. God was going to take the guesswork out of what it meant to serve him. But they were still very, very fresh. Uh, very fresh. This pagan world. You know, there was this concept that... You know, they're free, they're free. But I'm going to say maybe something kind of controversial is that, you know, pure freedom is actually an illusion. Mm. You know, we always serve a master, even if that master convinces you that you're only serving yourself. A lot of people think, oh, I serve myself. Well, 
that's a lie too. Okay. Yeah. And I think we're going to show that. Um, it reminds me of that great Bob Dylan song. You've got to serve somebody. <laughs> if you haven't listened to that song, folks, I, I really recommend it because it's actually what we're talking about today. It's perfect. Yes, it's <laughs> we can, a, we can play that and be done. One way or another. <laughs> you know, and say, okay, podcast is the, over. The great prophet Bob Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great prophet who did happen to be Jewish. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, but this idea of we've got to serve somebody, Yeshua echoed that, right? Mm -hmm. In the Sermon of the Mount, where he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You know, I was looking up that idea of mammon, yeah. and there is a lot of uh, history to that idea of mammon being a type of um, demon or mm. spiritual entity of representing greed. You know? Yeah, and we're, we're going to talk about those influences that, that exist. And yes, so if, if that becomes more important, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with, with an individual, a believer, having uh, possessions exactly. or wealth. But it's what they do with it, That's what right. becomes more important when they have it. And, and, and so Jesus himself talks about this idea of serving mammon. Okay, mm. so that's... That's important. Okay. He mentioned it. Okay. This, and, and like I said, when you look it up, there's, is a concept that existed of this actually being some type of entity, spiritual entity. Mm. Okay. So what was Jesus talking about? <laughs> right? <laughs> We're going to find out. That's right. Now, did God ever talk about how he did not want to be served? You know, we think about how do you want to be served, but did he ever clarify that? Actually, Gary, I'm going to ask you to read Leviticus 18.3. Yeah, I think he was very clear. He says, you shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes, Leviticus 18.3. Very clear. Yeah. Very clear. Where I brought you out of and where I'm bringing you, mm -hmm. he's not bringing them into a place that doesn't have these influences. These influences are everywhere, and we have to remember that, too. Yeah, nothing has changed, really. Nothing's I mean, we, we think we're so modern and, and uh, you know... It's not so much, no, no. <laughs> right? So <laughs> the, God, the God of Israel, he has a different way. He doesn't want his people to adopt or adapt pagan ways of worship as we worship him. But you know what? Did the Israelites do that? Yeah, yeah unfortunately, the answer is yes. <laughs> do we do that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think the answer is yes on yeah, that too. Yeah. So today we're going to consider whom we serve, the gods of Egypt and Canaan or the God of Israel. You know, that is a huge topic. This may seem like... Um, I don't know, like we're being picky when we, you know, because everybody runs around saying, I, you know, I love God or I worship God, but who are you worshiping? I mean, God was very specific. In fact, God is kind of a generic name. Yes, we're going to so, see that. And so we're going to look in, in scripture and we're going to see that, you know, the, the Hebrew letters, yud Hey vav Hey what God uses to define his name. And there is some debate over where the vowels go, whether it's Yahweh, Yehovah. Sometimes we hear Jehovah, but of course we know there's no J sound in Hebrew. I'm particularly fond of Yehovah mm -hmm. because I know the Karaites um, have you know, locked in on that one. 
And that name, that Yudhe Bhavhe, was actually used over 6,000 times. It's actually 6,823, I believe, yes. was, was found in the Bible with that name. And it's replaced with the word Lord often. And I think that's caused some problems because it, it, it takes away something that God was trying to do is identify who he was. And it ultimately leads, leads us into this coexist mess that's in the world today. Uh, God told us, uh, oh, you were, you had a story. Oh, that's right, Gary. That's right. It, it, I, exactly like what you were just talking about. I went to a ladies' Bible study once at a Methodist church, you know, 10, 12 uh, women, mostly over 70, uh-huh. and they had a prayer printed out on the program. And Gary, in that prayer, everyone was praying to Allah. <sighs> It's un- unreal. They had no idea the name of their God. I, I was, I was stunned, and I was like, "We have failed. We have failed. We have failed." And and you know that reminds me. I, I don't have time to tell this entire story, but uh, it reminds me of of the Bible translations that have decided in the Arab world to use Allah, and you know that may be synonymous with God today. But that's not where the name originates. And, and maybe that's a topic for a whole nother podcast. But uh, Allah is not the God of the Bible. No, we, we need to be sure, certain of that. You know, Psalm, Psalm 16, David, David penned Psalm 16, and he talks about um, not, not paying homage to um, gods, the, the gods of the world. He says their sorrow, verse 4 of, of Psalm 16, their sorrows will be multiplied who hasten after another god. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. See, and that's what you're talking about. By by using the wrong name, you're taking up a pagan god on your, on your lips. God was very specific in Exodus chapter three, uh, chapter uh, verse fifteen. He tells Moses when God when Moses was saying, "Who am I going to say sent me?" He's trying to, you're sending me these people and, you know, and you, you got a message. Who am I telling them sent me and with what message? And God was very specific in Exodus 3, verse 15. He says, and, and sadly, we always focus on the I am what I am or in the Hebrew, more best, better translated, I shall be what I shall be. But he goes on to say, that I'm, tell the children of Israel that the Lord God, your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is a memorial to all generations. Forever, all generations. Elohe Avraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Elohe Yaakov, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And how many times does our Bible actually say that? Over and over, over and, and over. Over and over. He clearly talks about that. He defines himself. He clearly defines himself with three generations of his people. And just just to drive the, the, uh, the point home a little bit further, even the Ten Commandments that all Christians you know, should venerate and, and defend begins not with the statement, I am the creator of the universe, have no gods before me. It says, I'm the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. You shall have no gods before me. Again, he identifies with a people and an actual event 
very that, specific very to specific, their history. Yes, that he that he everyone knows the Exodus story, or you know, at least they've maybe seen the Ten Commandments. That's right. That, that God brought them out of the land of Egypt, and the 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 prophets remind us about. And you've heard me talk about this often. That there will come a day will no longer be known for that event, but it'll be known for bringing them home to Israel today. So once again, identifying with Israel, with the Jewish people, as we call them today, or the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So specific. And Gary, that is not how Allah identifies. No. At all. No. Or any other of the, let's call them little G gods. There is no other God that identifies that none, way. None. None on the earth. And we know that Allah, if you follow the tenets of, of radical Islam, Islam they want this people destroyed. That's right. That's not the God we serve. That's right. He'd have to be, uh, you know, uh, schizophrenic. Exactly. Now, so we know who our God is, okay, and what matters to him because he identifies himself um, by identifying with this nation and with this people very specifically. But now let's take a look at what maybe... Paul was referencing or what our Old Testaments always often talk about. Let's take a look at other gods. Okay, we'll call them little g gods. You'll you'll be able to distinguish when I'm talking about gods or God, you know. But we're going to look at uh, Deuteronomy 12. And and Gary, maybe you could read that for us. I will. And I I think the point needs to be made. You know, we're we're not calling them false gods for a reason because these are identified as God's small g. That's right. Deuteronomy 12, starting in verse 29, says, Jehovah your God will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispossess. But then, excuse me, but when you have driven them out and settled in their land, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire and sacrifices to their gods. Wow. You know, so where we it repeated their gods, their gods, their gods. And it's lots of times when Christians read this, we actually do put that word false in front of there. Right. We just kind of assume, okay, false gods there. But it doesn't say false. No, it doesn't. Okay, These so we're kind of adding something there. But what I want to do is look at this Hebrew word that is translated gods. In fact, this Hebrew word is Elohim. It is plural. Things that end in I am are mm-hmm. plural in Hebrew. And it's translated two ways. And this is what's really kind of interesting. It's translated with the big G God as a reference to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. And it's also translated as the little G gods. So here in Psalm 82, we'll see both of them in this one verse. Psalm 82.1 says, God, Elohim has taken his place in the divine assembly. He judges among the gods, Elohim. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So judges among the gods, plural. But but it's the same word Mm -hmm. in both places, but it's only context that that helps us determine when we're dealing with big G or little G. Okay, so we have a singular entity. Okay, so I think we can we can always assume that's our God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what about these? Among the gods, Elohim, that word is there. Who are these gods in this divine assembly? Now, some people in Christendom will say, oh, this is a reference to the Trinity. You know what? That's easy to say until you read just a few verses down. Yeah, the context doesn't hold up. The context does not hold up. In fact, these it says of these other gods, okay, let's say, does this sound like Trinity? They do not know, nor do they understand they walk about in darkness. Mm. Does that sound like the Trinity? Mm, I no, hope not. No. <laughs> We're in trouble. Right? That's right. And in fact, if you keep going in Psalm 82, it says, all the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are God's Elohim, and all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. That so, doesn't hold up if you, you're trying to paint Trinity. the Trinity there. No, no, it's not Trinity. Once again, we've got this little G gods, this Elohim, who are identified as children of the Most High. So that's really interesting, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but then it says, but you'll die like men. So they're. it sounds like they're divine. Divine, but they're going to suffer they're going to suffer judgment, right? Exactly. Whoa, Hmm. that's kind of (laughs) wild. Wow, it is. And, and, you know, there's other passages, you know, who is Jehovah being compared to in these passages is what we need to understand. Um, Exodus 15, 11 says, who is like you, Jehovah, among the gods? And there's that word Elohim again. Who is like you, glorious in holiness, Fearful in praises, doing wonders. So there again, we have, we have him among others. Okay. Then Solomon stood before the altar of Jehovah in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven and said, Jehovah God of Israel, there is no God, again, Elohim, in heaven above or on earth below like you. You keep your covenant and mercy and your servants who walk before you with all of their hearts. 1 Kings 8, 22 and 23. And then Psalm 97, 9 says, For you, Jehovah, are most high above all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. And once again, that word is Elohim. So we have this comparison happening in all of these verses, right? It's talking about most high. If there aren't other gods... What does that statement even mean, Gary? It means nothing. You're no, most what, what, well, compared what, to what? That doesn't have any meaning. There has to be something he's being compared to that that would be considered as, from human beings as in a plane, maybe equal to right. or you know or within, within the same realm yeah, of but, yeah. uh, in a different plane than we exist. Yes, exactly. Right, something different. You know, so then there's this Job two account, and many of you have probably heard of this. I don't know how much time you've spent with it. But in Job 2, it says, again, there was a day when the sons of God, that word is B'nai Elohim, came to present themselves before Yehovah, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. Yehovah said to Satan, where have you come from? Then Satan answered Yehovah and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And Yehovah said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? You know, I wrote this down, Gary, and I just put a bunch of question marks after it because I'm like, (laughs) wait a minute, what? 
What's happening here? Sons of God. God. So they're, they're all coming together and presenting themselves before this God of Israel. They t- they have some authority. We see that in the story of Job, right? Mm-hmm. God, they mm-hmm. don't have ultimate authority because God allows Satan to, to take these things away from Job. But they're called B'nai Elohim, yeah. sons of God. And of course, you're seeing, you're, you're getting a, 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 the curtains pulled back on a spiritual realm because we're talking about something going on in a realm that we cannot, we're not aware of. And have you ever wondered who, you know, who, who Jehovah is referring to when he's talking to the, in, the, in creation? If, we're, if mankind hasn't been created yet, who is he talking to when he says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God, Elohim, created man in his own image and the image of God, Elohim, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And this is Genesis 1 verse 26. And this all occurred before Man was created. Let us make man in our image. Mm -hmm. Okay. According to our likeness. That's once again, then then it goes and, you know, a lot of people say, okay, this is the Trinity again. Not when you start comparing it to all these other verses where Elohim is used. The Trinity doesn't fit because of all of the other verses that we're talking about, too, that that reference these other Elohim. I I agree. And I think you have to look at the entire work. I mean, there's there's another reference here when we see this plural uh, use of the word being used in Genesis 3, 22. Then uh, Jehovah Elohim said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. He didn't say like become like me. No. He said like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he uh, put put his hand and take also the tree of life and eat of it and live forever. So God had to put an end to their their plans, basically. Exactly. And at that point, only Adam and Eve. Okay, he was, but he was talking about Adam and Eve. But mm-hmm. those were the only people in creation. Right, right. So who is he talking to? Yeah, he, okay, he, who is he talking us. to? Who's, who's the us in this equation? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, the, were these. The divine assembly that we saw in, in Psalm 82? Yeah, it's, uh, it, that would make good sense. That would fit, right? Okay, yeah. you don't have to manipulate that very much to say there there's a group, a, a divine assembly, and he's saying they're going to be like us, like this other set of... Um, and we're not saying, uh, folks, that these this divine assembly... Uh, I, I believe very strongly these are created beings. They are they are not equal to 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 the God Elohim of Israel in any way, shape, or form. That's I, important. I'm glad you brought that up. We yeah. want to be clear here. Yes. We're, Kathy and I are not saying that the you know God is not the only one, the That's creator right. of the universe right. and and most high. Most high. He is the most high God. But he obviously, by, based on these scriptures had a created beings. That's right. That, that, that were, he hung out him. with, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they, and, and that would make sense, you know. Um, he, he, he hung out with them. He got 
and and they they spoke with him. They went out in the world and brought news back of Job. You know, sure. it, it, all of these things. We're going to see more evidence of That's that as right. we go. Yes. You know, so there's something interesting that happens in Deuteronomy 32 8. Um, I'm going to read it according to the Dead Sea Scrolls number 43Q7. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is if you look in some more um, more recent translations it won't read just like this mm. but but most scholars agree that the dead sea scrolls are a more accurate translation of I, the word so we're going to look at 30 Deuteronomy 32:8 and it says when the most high gave to the nations their inheritance when he separated the children of men he set the bounds of the nations according to the number of most Bibles say children of Israel, mm. but Gary, according to the Dead Sea Scrolls, it says he set the bounds of the nations according to the number of B'nai Elohim. That is a huge difference. I mean, you know, I mean, and the Dead Sea, I, I'm glad you brought this up because the Dead Sea Scrolls were, you know, un, untampered with. They were his, preserved for like 2,000 years, and so there wasn't translation issues there where we, we, we've run into. And if you're going to set up the boundaries of the nations according to the B'nai Elohim, the, the, the sons of gods, that, that means there is authority, there's principalities and authority associated over, with nations. Associated, associated over geographical locations, yes. That's important to know. And, and, and that's exactly what the ancient people believed. Mm-hmm. Okay, we don't think of that in, in any way, shape, or form nowadays. We don't have that understanding, but they certainly did. So that's why we called them the gods of Egypt. Right. Okay, and would the not, gods of Canaan. Yeah, sure. And would not, not explain then why God said, I am the God of Israel. That's right. Would he, would, he, would he, God portions out this little piece of land to say, this is where I'm going to be represented you know, and so let the, let these let these other gods have their way with with the earth. This is where I'm going to be. In represented. fact, if you keep reading in Deuteronomy 32, mm-hmm. that's exactly what it says. But mm-hmm. he's keeping Israel for himself. Exactly. That's exactly what it says yeah. in Deuteronomy 32. So it's it says he's portioned out the earth. Mm-hmm. He's given authority to these B'nai Elohim. Uh, different uh, gods have different authority in different places, but he said, I've kept Israel for right. myself. And this is how we we identify him and have to make that choice. And that yes. choice still exists today. About, I mean, look how, look how much hatred exists over the nation of Israel. Right. And then there's those of us who love her. That's right. There's yeah. your choice, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and Gary, this concept of gods with authority over nations comes up again, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it comes up again. Well, yeah, we see it. We see it. We read it in the book of Daniel for sure. In fact, you know what? Let me read Daniel 10, verse 12 through 13. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had, if I had been left alone there, there with the king of Persia. There, there, there this, this being, this being had been left alone with the king of Persia. And we know these are spiritual beings because this is, this is the angel coming to assist Daniel and tell him that his prayer had been heard. 
And he says, soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. I mean, he's describing prince of these beings that have authority over regions of the world. It, it couldn't be any clearer, but, but we so often we read this and we kind of, we spiritualize it, we allegorize it. Yeah, you know, I it's suppose. like just some kind of uh, allegory for evil, you know, amongst a group of people or something like that. But, but that is clearly with, not with the way Daniel 21 days, it. look how specific oh, and how practical is. this and, is. And I heard you. I tried to come. They kept me back. I mean, this is a great movie being made here, yeah, okay? Yeah. And, and so, and remember context. How did Daniel understand it? Mm. It wasn't with the 21st century enlightened no. mind that we have, no. right? He, he went right to intercession. He knew he, he had to pray to his God. His most high. His mo- the God That's most right. high. Yeah. That's right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the, we see some kind of idea here that this Michael is also for Israel. Yes. Right? So yes. that's kind of cool too, you know? So... Clearly, these concepts of principalities that Paul talked about in the beginning, clearly they exist Mm -hmm. in our Bibles. And and we've been looking at the Older Testament, but I want to look at another Hebrew word, and that word is shadim. And shadim comes from the word shud, which means lay waste or bring destruction. Wow. Powerful. Yeah. So if you go to Deuteronomy 32 again, a really good, good, good chapter... They sacrifice to Shadim, and it's translated demons in our mm. Bible, not God, to gods, little g gods, mm. Elohim, that they had never known, to new ones recently arrived, whom their ancestors had not feared. So, so now we have this concept of sacrificing to something other than God, mm-hmm. right? The God of Israel, these little g gods, and now it's calling them a shadim, a destroy, destroyers, something that lays waste. Okay, that's the Hebrew word, mm. uh, translated demons. And even when um, uh, Psalms 106, 36, 37, they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and daughters to shadim. Wow. Yeah, this is, this is, I mean, this is real. Yes. I, and this is where it gets real. When you're sacrificing your children to a God, it, it, and, this, is not some, this is not just a, a, something of stone or wood. This no. is something that has influence over you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a good point. You know, the Septuagint is when they took the Hebrew Bible and they translated it into Greek. Shadim was translated into Greek as daimonion. I'm not saying, sure I'm saying that right, but in 1 Corinthians, okay, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 10, 20. The things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to daimonia and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with daimonia. Why would he warn us against having fellowship with something that doesn't exist? Oh, exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. That's I mean, where that influence I was talking about comes in. It changes their behavior. It pulls them away from their, their one true God. We have to read the Bible in context to those it was written to. How did they understand it? Not 
how do we filter it through our our 21st century mind mm-hmm. to understand it so that's going to require us going back some more to look at the ancient pagan world mm-hmm. and when i talk about the ancient pagan world you know there are thousands and thousands of years and lots of civilizations okay sure. so we're talking about the chaldeans the assyrians the persians the babylonians the egyptians we're talking about aztecs incans chinese greeks romans mm-hmm. many more right yeah. many yeah. more okay and so we have this idea in every one of these civilizations that all had gods they did they all had their own gods yes, they did. and they were all seen as territorial mm-hmm. well that might be right <laughs> right <laughs> I, I think they were correct in that oh, it, uh, i think so it's more than mythology for, for sure exactly and what's interesting they all have kind of distinct personalities even though um you know, all the nations seem to have gods that shared these characteristics with the gods of the other nations, which means across time, across space, these gods, even though they had different names, seemed like the same gods, right? Yeah, okay. that's, that's the interesting thing about it, because you, you will see, uh, again, if, if anybody remembers their school, uh, you know, Greek and Roman <laughs> mythology, you had the gods with personalities and different names, but there's a reason for that, you know, the, 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 why that they, there was similarities, because I believe uh, we, we, see, we see their influence coming through these different uh, areas of that the had world. Real, these gods that had real personalities, real right? Personality, I mean, let's yeah. face it, even Satan, Satan, yeah. has a personality, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, and it, it's pretty consistent over time. Pride, yeah. That's right? One, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Pretty consistent. Yeah, pretty consistent. Well, you know, examples, when we think about today, I mean... I know that the Mother Earth, you know, yeah, yes. there's such an influence there. But mother goddesses, mother goddess worship, fertility and sexuality, all these themes, uh, they're consistent over time. With the Chaldeans, they, they called their god Beltis. Mm-hmm. The Assyrians, it was Ishtar, which we see that in many forms mm-hmm. these days. Uh, the Phoenicians called um, Ashtar or Ashtaroth. We, we see that in the Bible, the Ashtaroth poles. Babylonians, it was Melita. The Greeks, it was Aphrodite. And for the Romans, it was Venus. But all of these had that same personality. It was all about fertility. It was all, all about sexuality um, and even the perversion of, of what we would call sexuality today. Absolutely. So yeah. what we have to ask ourselves is, are these gods real? Could it be that the gods of ancient Canaan, to which the Israelites offered sacrifices, were not just figments of their imagination? Could there have been actual spiritual entities receiving this worship? Could these entities still exist today? Mm. You know, the Bible tells us that individuals can be possessed by demons. But the question comes, can civilizations be likewise possessed? Yeah. You know, we looked at Khan's book and we read through it. And he, he, he said in this book that while these gods had their sway for you know thousands of years, what pushed the gods out of their place of prominence 
was the gospel. Amen. I, the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it came in and there was no place for these gods. So they kind of receded into the shadows, yeah. right? It makes so much sense that they would they would fade at the time of Yeshua's ministry and, and then you know for hundreds right. of years afterwards. Right. It makes so much sense. And in the premise of Jonathan Jonathan Kahn's book, The Return of the Gods, is that if these ancient gods existed in a pre-Judeo-Christian world, mm-hmm. could they return in a post-Judeo-Christian world? Yeah, and he used the passage, a, 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 a parable in Matthew, that I thought really held this whole thesis together. Yes. It really does. It was, might, may have been mo- one of the most powerful points he made. It's from Matthew 12, and it says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it, shall it also be with this wicked generation. Wow. When you think about the idea of, okay, so you get rid of these gods. You, you take upon yourself the word of God. But then over the course of time, it fades or is perverted or whatever happened. We know it the history. It loses its power. It some... loses its power. We know the history of the church. And so these demons decide, hey, we've got entry again. That's right. And That's right. And we opened the door. And, and, and here, this almost answers this last verse, as you were just reading it, and answers that question. To me, can civilizations be possessed? It said, so shall it be with this wicked generation. This generation, okay? and be worse than before. And be worse than before. So we got a whole generation of people yeah. that can... Basically, be demon possessed is what this is saying. Okay, that's the, that's what it's comparing it to. Yeah, and and you know we we said in the opening, you know, the only way to explain some of the behavior we're seeing, where we normally would say, no, this person should be institutionalized. Right, exactly. <laughs> Still, I, yeah. I would go for yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this Maybe. is what we're saying. Um, so what I want to do is look at three specific gods, and these I will give full credit to Jonathan Kahn because he was mm-hmm. the one that we we got this information from. We add to it. And we put in specific Bible verses and and, and everything. But um, I'd highly recommend that everybody, if you haven't gotten this book, you need to go get this book and read this book. It's actually a pretty quick read because Mm -hmm. it's very interesting. So so Jonathan Kahn presented three gods. And the first that he presented um, was Baal or Baal, okay, that we often call him. And, And Baal was the god of apostasy. He was the alternative god or the anti god. Mm. Right? Yeah. So we see in Judges 2 where it says the children of Israel did evil in the sight of Yehovah and served the Baals. Mm. And they forsook forsook Yehovah Elohim of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. There, there he goes with that identity. Yeah. And they followed other Elohim <laughs> from among the Elohim of the people who were all around them and they bowed down to them. So there's that use of that Elohim over and over and over Bowing and over. Down. And yeah, and it, it, there's so much packed in that. You know, yeah, the, identity, exactly. the, the true identity of God and then the, the identity of these, these, uh, these, this, this, anti-God, That's you know, because right. by the 9th century BC, the worship of Baal had, be, uh, had made such inroads in Israel and their, in their culture that those who refused to join it were persecuted and hunted down and killed. Oh my goodness. I mean, what a transformation, right? right. 
I mean, we all, um, I think hopefully our audience is familiar with Elijah and the prophets of Baal, that uh-huh. battle, that amazing battle that goes on in, in 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, just just quickly, I mean, it's actually quite entertaining. It's a great, I mean, funny e- story, Elijah too. is quite, he's quite the showman, you know. <laughs> he said, come on, worship, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to get their gods to, re- to respond, and he's telling them, you know, maybe they're in the bathroom. Maybe, maybe they're, they're in the bathroom. In the Hebrew, it, it's really, it's really quite comical. <laughs> Um, but it's but it's a serious topic because it really is what we're facing today. That's right. There is a battle of the gods going on today, right. and and Elijah showed uh, what 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 the what an example for us what That's we right. should. And he said this: How long will you waver between two opinions? If Jehovah is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. That's First Kings eighteen verse twenty one. Wow, the people said nothing. nothing. I mean, the, the, we're, we're, may, I hope our audience is responding and not and and don't sit on this. Look into it yourselves. This is important for 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 you and for this nation. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's almost like Israel had this like collective amnesia. Mm-hmm. It, it, it says in Judges 3, they forgot Yehovah their Elohim and served the Baals and the Asherahs. And we're going to mm-hmm. read about Asherah, um, Ishtar in just a minute. It says their gods have forgotten my name for Baal, Jeremiah 23. Then it says something interesting in 2 Kings. They rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters. So they left all the commandments of Yehovah, their Elohim, made for themselves a molded image and two calves, made a wooden image and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served the Baals. Mm. Second Kings again. So, you know, they forgot deliberately, uh, not deliberately, I don't know, they forgot But if you bring it forward, okay, thousands of years, to this nation, have we not suffered a very similar collective amnesia for the God that this nation was founded on? We've said in many podcasts, we've shown how this nation was founded on biblical Judeo-Christian principles and on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then... We forgot. We started Mm. to forget. June 25th, 1962, the U.S. Supreme Court declared prayer in public schools unconstitutional. Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay? We totally... This to me doesn't even seem like forgetting. It seems like rejecting. This was okay. a rejection. This yes. was, you know, this was one atheist pushing, you know, pushing her um, influence and people bowing down to it. That's I right. Mean, it was, and, and in eight in eighty, the Supreme Court ruled against the posting of the Ten Commandments in a school. Mm. So. Does that not sound okay? We take the Ten Commandments out, and I just read in Second Kings, have we not left the commandments, the commandments of Yahweh? Of Yahweh. Yeah. It's the exact same thing, just said a slightly different way. We left the commandments, just like Israel did. Yeah, we 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 have in our in our, our uh, government buildings, and of course on our on our uh, money, God we trust, and yet we've rejected His commandments. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, Baal is often portrayed as a bull 
or a calf. Mm-hmm. And that's a pattern, right, Gary? Yeah, sure is. And we can go all the way back once we, you know, we started talking about the Exodus journey. So let's go back and look at it again, because I think this is where the pattern starts in Exodus 32, verses three and four. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He he took what they had handed him and made it into an idol, cast it in the shape of a calf, fashioned it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. There's where the pattern ah. starts. Yeah, there's, there's where the pattern starts. And no, it, no. <laughs> it, it, it's not a coincidence, it's not random that they ca- they fashioned it after a bull or a cow. That's right. It, it's not random. It's you know, not this, random. This was influence. This is the demonic influence that we're trying to expose to you here today so that you're aware and you can, you can, you, you don't, don't fall victim. Exactly. And this was the calf that was the God of Egypt where they had been. Exactly. Right? Now, right. now I can say, I can, I can hear it. Somebody in the audience is saying, well, we're not going to form a golden calf. Mm. Well, let's mm. go on. Yeah. What did Jeroboam do uh, in First Kings 12, 28? Jeroboam, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves and said to his people, going up to Jerusalem is too much for you. Here, O Israel, are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Okay. Now, someone said, well, wait a minute, they're still making calves. Yes, but (laughs) did you hear what he said? Going up to Jerusalem is too much for you. Okay, now we're getting to the heart of this. This is the gods of this earth trying to pull you away from the God, the the most high God, who set his his identity uh, with and, and his presence always with Jerusalem. That's right. Right. And when he said, I will put my name there. I, I said will that. put my name there forever. Right. Right. And he said, this is where you go three times a year to worship me. And during these feasts. So what does Jeroboam do? Say, no, 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 no. no, no. Don't go to Jerusalem. Did God really say that? Was that, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds you can stay right here. It's more convenient. And then when I think about the, 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 the Roman Catholic Church, I re, I, I've I read, I think I may have been in our recent podcast, or maybe it was another teaching I was doing, but the words of Constantine, where he said, we, our, our Lord has shown us a more convenient way. And so, no, don't go to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Stay here in Rome. Or, you know, let's, let's, let's worship during the Feast of Easter, Eshtar, mm-hmm. Easter, versus to Passover. So a convenient way. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't do the Feast of the Lord. Take your eyes it's, off of that for this shiny thing over yes, here. <laughs> it's a pattern. So we see it starts in Egypt. We see Jeroboam do it. And then we see the church take on the same pattern. That's why we talked about at the beginning, not only does God work in patterns, but the world works in patterns, right? right? Nothing new under the sun. What has been will be again. That pattern over and over. Patterns. You have to look for patterns, folks. That's important. So so the person saying, well, I'm not going to make a golden calf, but are you worshiping on his feast days? That's right. Or are you worshiping on something else, some other day? That's right. Then if so, we're doing exactly what they did. Exactly. Exactly. You know, Baal was the God of increase, the God of gain and profit. And so it's interesting. You just said, oh, we don't make golden calves. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know what? In 1989, um, there was an Italian artist who created a bronze. And in fact, that first statue that they made at the foot of Mount Sinai was a bronze calf, I Mm. think too, is what some people say that was bronze, bronze, gold, whatever, precious metals, whatever they had. Um, 
he actually made one of these, okay? So you say, we don't make these anymore. Well, Gary, he actually did. (laughs) And where did we put it, And where did we put it? In the financial (laughs) district of New York City, right? Mm. It is said to be the symbol of financial optimism and prosperity. Wasn't that increase gain and profit isn't that the exact same thing yep. you know so yeah. yeah you can say we don't make them we're like well we actually do we actually make do. them <laughs> you know, we call it a bull market that's you know, right <laughs> exactly Gee, where do these what words we, come from yeah we don't just make these words up they right. all have a history right you know so Baal is also considered the god of apostasy think about that as the other god mm. right something yeah. alternative god and i just wanted to share direct quotes you know there was some stuff in the book that i thought was written very powerfully and one thing that the author jonathan Kahn wrote is one's god is that which is one's ultimate reality mm. therefore it cannot be questioned so now arose new movements causes ideologies and systems of thought that could not be challenged or questioned no matter how irrational they were since they are now gods that is such a powerful statement that is because it is so what we're seeing today you cannot question you're you're a hater you're a hater you're a bigot you're yeah no no way can you question the reality their reality so he also said if nothing is god then anything and everything is God. Mm. So true. It I is. mean, just that's so true. You know, I was looking at uh, Time Magazine. I, 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 I don't get Time Magazine, okay? But um, <laughs> I, I read about it. So on April 21st, this year, 2023, there was an article in Time Magazine calling The Case for Making Earth Day a Religious oh Holiday. Oh, my okay? gosh. And what the, one of the quotes is, Are we proposing a whole new religion? We're not quite sure. Maybe an old one. Wow, they know. They know. They know. They know. I find it so ironic, Kathy. The very people that fight tooth and nail, no religion, you know, no state, you, you well, she'll not establish a state religion or separation of church, church and, and state. state. You hear over and over, misquoted. The very people now creating this religion over Mother Earth or That's the, right. or, you know. That they want us all to participate in. And we have to participate. That's right. Through legislation, bow down. Exactly. So what we've done is we've created a God of the creation, right? Right. Okay. Not the worshiping creation rather than the creation. Exactly what Paul said, yes. So, so... That's just not good. And here we are. We think, oh, we're above that. Gary, we're not. We're not. We're the same old people. Same old people. And, you know, it's funny because we're talking about Baal and his very name means master. What 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 has mastered us? You know, what, what could, ask yourself that question. What is your master? Is it greed? Is it power? Addiction? Self worship? Sex? I mean, all cell these, phones. So, well, that's a you know. You, since you brought up cell phones, you know, Psalm one fifteen verse uh, four four through eight. They're they're idols. It says their idols have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. Those who made them are like them. Oh, that is kind I, of freaky to me. <laughs> it is because how many times have we sat and seen just people just mindlessly scrolling their phone, not and talking no to anybody, talking with each other, looking at anybody else? Yes. You know, it's like you've become this thing that this idol that doesn't speak, that doesn't, you know. Uh, yeah, that, that's kind of freaky to me. <laughs> <laughs> 
So first we've got this Baal Baal entering the scene. It's like he throws open the door, okay? Mm-hmm. And then he's he establishes himself. And then next, according to Jonathan Kahn, comes the next goddess, and that would be Ishtar. Ishtar. Okay? So if Baal represents the nation turning from God into the physical, the material, the carnal, he opens this door, this god of apostasy, ushers in the goddess of mm. sexual licentiousness and debauchery. Wow. Whoa. Okay. Are, are we there or oh, what? Oh, my goodness. And, this is that same goddess that Gary mentioned earlier. Lots of different names, right? She can be Ishtar. The Bible calls her Ashereth. We see the Asherah poles. Mm-hmm. Astarte, uh, Inanna, Aphrodite, Venus. Doesn't matter. Same that, one. Same goddess of sexuality same and God. war, right? That's and, exactly right. And, and that's what she was. That's right. So she's, she, she, boy, there's a lot of uh, chapters devoted to this goddess in Jonathan Kahn's book because it seems to be the one that we're really dealing with right now uh, in a big way. So she's the goddess of sexuality and the goddess of war and destruction. She's described as a seductress, a temptress, a temptress, the goddess of prostitution. She's described as fiery and impulsive and greedy and emotional and carnal and given to rage and vindictive and unbridled passion, insatiable sexual desire, boundless pride, a breaker of rules, a transgressor of boundaries. Wow. Doesn't that sound familiar? Yeah, it sounds just, just cross the path of somebody if you don't believe Pick up it. your newspaper, and for heaven's wow. sake. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we talked about not having the names of the gods on your lips. Ishtar. I, I'm no. going to say it, Kathy. We, we t- the church opened the door mm-hmm. when we started. We, we refused to worship under the feast of Passover, Pesach, and started calling it Easter after Ishtar. After Ishtar. And what? Fertility. You know, the, the eggs, the bunnies. The, right. oh, it's all about fertility. It's, in, in the guise of, you know, um, the resurrection, we've, we've turned it into don't worship me as the pagans do. Right. And, and don't even have their names on don't your lips. Don't have their names on your lips. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's it not a minor trivial detail. It's not minor. I think that's, if we could say, if we can get that point across here, this is not us just complaining about, the, you, you know, semantics. That's right. This is serious. This is serious. You know, there's always this Baal, Ashtoreth connection in the Bible. So then they cried out to Yehovah and said, we've sinned because we've forsaken Yehovah and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, 1 Samuel 12, 10. So so they tend to go together, and that's what we see too. Mm-hmm. So we see that this um, this goddess now has entered. When did she enter? I would argue, uh, although it's been gradual, that that whole concept of that sexual revolution yeah. that we had in the 1960s I is really agree. when Ishtar kind of reemerged on this the the American stage and then mm-hmm. on the world stage because the world follows what's happening yeah. in America yeah, for agree. better or for worse, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, I would agree. The sexual revolution, uh, we, you know, we're seeing in America, it goes on. And there's a quote from Jonathan Kahn's book that I will read right now, mm-hmm. the exact quote from his book. Divorced from marriage, sex became a god, and the end of, and the goal and a goal of, unto itself. Americans became obsessed with sex, possessed by a spirit of transgression, pushing the next boundary, breaking the next taboo. Sexual immorality became holy. 
as we said a moment ago, you cannot challenge individuals about this. And he goes on to say, the shock of each step was followed by familiarity and numbness, then uh, uh, toleration, then acceptance, and then celebration. Uh, Kathy, I've used the term, the the terms sliding scale of morality for a long time. And that's exactly what this is. You you start, you just see it. Okay. I see it every day. Okay. So you become numb to it. Then we start tolerating it. And then it just becomes accepted as the norm. And then and, it's celebrated. And then, then, then that's sadly celebrated, right. and, and we, can't, we can't question it. That's right. That's yeah. right. You know, another kind of connection with Ishtar, and she's got all sorts of stuff going on there, is this connection between Ishtar and the occult or pagan worship um, that we've actually seen quite a rise of probably in the last 10, 15 years of um, uh, people claiming themselves to be... Um, God, goddesses. Yeah. I actually had a, a, a person you that I went to encounter. school with. I, I had a, well, I, two things. I had a, um, uh, a friend, um, and, uh, lost touch many years later and then picked up on Facebook and it, um, um, she was a, a goddess counselor or wow. something. I was like, so does that mean you're the goddess or does that mean that you're counseling goddesses who need them help? <laughs> Not really sure what that was exactly, wow. you know, and, you know, Gary, even right here uh, in the middle of the, the, the space coast in our little town of, of Coco, we have, we have a, uh, a, a store that is called something which, and then we have uh, a person who uh, does, um, um, I'm not going to say seances. What's the word? Uh, t- okay. uh, d- uh, reading palms, oh, okay. Okay? okay, and tarot cards okay. and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. It's a little bitty village. Yeah. Two? Two, Two? of them. In that, yeah, I know, I know Coco that, Village. It's right? not large. Two? Yeah. All right. So very, very disturbing, discerning. Mm. Um, so Ishtar was a sorceress known for her ability to alter people's affections, passions, thoughts, and identity. Hmm. So altering affections. Homosexual practices were a big part of Ishtar worship. That's how they worshipped her. That's how yeah. she wanted to be worshipped. Mm-hmm. So you talked about uh, cult prostitutes. Well, the homosexual acts was what was a big, big part because that's what mm-hmm. she desired. That's the kind of worship she desires, There's, right? Yeah, this is that influence we're talking that's about. That's right. Mm-hmm. So it's not only that. She was known for her ability, and this is what gets really interesting, to basically inhabit Two ends of polar opposites of the spectrum. Mm. Example, she was called the morning and the evening star. And while she was the goddess of sexuality, she was also the goddess of war. Crazy. She was the embodiment, get this, of both male and female. Mm. So we see in an ancient Sumerian poem, it talks about each star and it says she has the power to turn a man into a woman and a woman into a man to change one into the other. Again, we said in the beginning, how else do you explain what we're seeing going on today? We don't have to even tell you what's going on. All of you know what's going on. You know. So we're just connecting it back. Okay. It's not new. Ishtar's priesthood were known for bending and breaking the parameters of gender. They were men who had taken on the appearances and attributes of women Ishtar was masculinized and her priests were feminized. Mm. 
There's so much to this. Once again, I tell you, let's go back. I mean, you need to go back and get that book if yeah. you want to see all the details. It, it really kind of blew me away. And then come you yourself can open the newspaper and see the comparisons. It's yeah, easy. yeah. Open your eyes. It's all around us. Right. Uh, so we have to we have to look at uh, well, one, one more, more God. Yeah, one more and God. This we one, have to. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm hesitant because yeah. this one you talk about the the horror. That's right. That this God has influenced mm-hmm. Molech. First um, Kings eleven verse seven says that then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech the abomination of the people of Ammon. Uh, Leviticus 18, 21. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Molech. Molech was associated with the darkest of all sins, Kathy, the sacrifice of human beings, particularly children. Now, the Bible calls this the most grievous of abominations, as well as the sign that a nation has turned entirely away from God. Oh, my gosh. God help us. You know, God help us. Um, um, we deserve the judgment. That, that's all I can say is we deserve mm-hmm. the judgment. I mean, Gary, the estimates of that, the number of children aborted in America is 60 million. Yeah. Okay, we way outpaced anything that was happening before. We've that's, developed much better, more effective ways oh, of doing horrific. this. You know, um, but this idea even of abortion, you know, it's not a new phenomenon no. either. Gary, I have this cool book called A Dictionary of Early Christian Beliefs. Mm-hmm. And in it, it talks about how uh, women would drink medicinal preparations to extinguish the source of the future man in their bowels so they commit murder before they bring forth. Wow. Sound familiar? Yeah, it's exactly where we are again today. And, and and it also had Clement of Alexandria. This was like circa 195 AD. And it said, listen to this, this sounds familiar. Although keeping parrots and curlews, which was a type of bird, I had to look it up, the pagans do not adopt the orphan child. Rather, they expose children who are born at home, yet they take up young birds. Exposed children. children. Did that sound familiar, Kathy? Doesn't something like that, uh, uh, somebody proposed that, I think, like in Virginia or something. It's like, let the baby be born mm-hmm. and then just let it lay there. Let like, it lay somebody there. makes a decision or, you know, about what they, what they yeah. want to let we this We have eyewitness live. accounts of this happening. Yeah, of this happening. Exactly. Yeah. Nothing new, folks. Mm. So our 60 million, these ancient pagans didn't have anything over on us. That's for sure. So tragic. Once again... We've identified that we have this huge problem in, in our nation. We've identified that the abominations our country is engaging in, they're not new. In fact, they are ancient. And we've identified that there seems to be a source or sources behind what's going on here. These Elohim, these Shadim, these gods, these principalities, whatever you want to call it. But these gods only have power because there are people who are willing to worship them. They may not know or understand what they're doing. It doesn't matter. Mm. It's easy to walk out of out, walk out of here. I was gonna say walk out of this podcast, right? You're gonna walk out. It's easy to turn off this podcast and think that the cause of all of our problems is someone else. Mm. However, we, Gary and I believe that indeed we, all of us, particularly the church, are responsible 
I, you know, I, I'd say, are we contributing? I actually say, we think we're responsible. Yeah, you know, well, that's why judgment begins with the house exactly. of the Lord, right? We open the door with our with our our pagan practices, and look that's what right. we, we, we've uh, reaped. So, so we want to talk about that. Um, you know, have we unwittingly? I will say that contributed to the return of these gods. Now, remember in the beginning, we talked about the ancient Israelites. They came out of Egypt. First place God brought them was Mount Sinai. They were free, free, <laughs> yes. At least they, they were free from service to Pharaoh. But now God had to teach them how to serve him. You got to serve somebody, uh-huh. okay? Like Bob Dylan said, he gave them teachings and instructions on Mount Sinai. Very detailed instructions, I might add. And he told him they were instructions for how to serve him and to serve one another. So we have the question. Do you think God has changed his mind about how he wants to be served? Is he now okay with homosexuality, gender transformation, child abuse, and sacrifice? I don't think so. I don't think so. As Christian believers, we often go around talking about our freedom, as Kathy said, And yes, once we accept Yeshua as our Savior, we are now free from a compulsive service to other gods. Prior to that, we were slaves to Pharaoh, slaves to gods, slaves to sin. But now we are not slaves. We have a choice. Our God is a God of choice. The Bible clearly presents two paths that we can choose. Our God doesn't compel us to choose one path over the other. He frees us to make that choice. When we are born again, we are saying, I choose to follow and serve the Most High God of Israel. But it's just not a done deal. We have to continue to make choices every day about whom we will serve. And Kathy, I, I just when we talk about choice, I, I know that Bible is replete with these examples mm-hmm. of, of people, Gentiles, who made a choice to follow the God of Israel. And I just want to share a few of those quickly. We, we think about uh, when, when Egypt, we were talking about the Exodus, when, the, when Israel came out of Egypt, they were faced with, uh, with two different individuals, Amalek and Jethro. Amalek chose to fight and try to kill the Israelites. Jethro came beside Moses and tried to serve him, right? There's there's an example of choice. Choice. Then we we think about um, Rahab and and Mm -hmm. Jericho. Rahab chose to help, to assist the, in in uh, you know the uh, the journey for the Israelites, That's right. whereas Jericho knew that they they were going to have to fight. Mm-hmm. Think about Ruth and Orpah, Ruth the Moabite. They both they were both Gentiles. That's right. And yeah, and yeah, and Orpah with just very little resistance then went back to her gods. Mm-hmm. The narrative says, "Go back to your gods," and she did. And she did. But oh, Ruth clung clung to Naomi, her, her, her Jewish mother-in-law. She made a choice to be with her. And we see, we know how that turned out very well for her, right. for making that choice. Wow. And then just give an example in the Brechadasha, the, the Newer Testament, Cornelius. Cornelius, and he, you know, he could have worshipped the gods of Rome, but he chose to worship the God of Israel. It's always, always it's about a choice. choice. Every single day. And you know, I once again, I'm going to say, um, I know this makes some people uncomfortable in the audience, but I feel like we as believers, as, uh, as the church, have a great responsibility for this. Amen. We have gotten ourselves or allowed this situation to happen, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how, do we, how has that happened? First, and we've got a list here. When we don't identify specifically which God we serve by name, the result is confusion 
and coexist bumper stickers. Mm -hmm. Okay. We caused this confusion. We were not specific. The world just picked up on our lack of specificity and amplified it. Amen. And I hope we were very clear about how important that is. The second way we get ourselves in trouble is we're afraid of the word obedience. As soon as someone says it, it conjures up this idea of slavery, and that's not the case. (laughs) When we talk about being obedient to God's word, we're often accused of being legalistic. How many times have we heard that, Kathy? Being legalistic literally means obeying the law. Are you being legalistic when you choose not to shoplift? When you choose not to murder or not to commit adultery? Let's look at what the word says in 1 Samuel. Samuel said, has Jehovah has has Jehovah has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Jehovah behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams you know we get ourselves in trouble when we ignore the first 3 quarters of the bible we miss out on huge God patterns that clarify how the God of Israel wants to be served. When we say we're a New Testament church, it is as though we're saying three quarters of the Bible is no longer of that much use to us. Mm. How then can we condemn a world that says four quarters of the Bible <laughs> is no longer of use to them? Good point. You know, and when we study the word Topically, I say think this is a problem too. Jumping from one verse to the other to find support for a theme or belief that we already hold. This causes a problem. You can find support for any belief that you have almost. Just trust me. You can yeah. find you have an idea, you read it in your Bibles, you can find support for almost anything you believe. Yeah, probably right. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And we get ourselves in trouble when we treat God's instructions as a buffet of culinary choices. <laughs> I mean, I choose to follow this commandment, but not this this one, one. not so much. This commandment comes easily, easily for me. It fits my nature. So I'll put that one on my plate. This one here, eh, I'm a bit contrary to my human fleshly nature. So I think I'll just skip it. (laughs) We get ourselves in trouble. Okay. And we get ourselves in trouble when we become biblically self-righteous. I know, I know what it says. How many of you have heard, have, have times have you heard it? I know what the Bible says, but. Oh. How many times have I heard that? I know what it says, but. but. Or, I know you're right, but. but. <laughs> this, is, this is the very definition of idolatry. That's idolatry. I yeah. know what God said, but. But. That's right. Yeah. We get ourselves in trouble when we're afraid of paradigm shifts. When we're, we're all comfortable with what we know. However, all growth, including growth in our faith, happens outside our comfort zone. Boy, is that so true. Paradigm shifting is what we've been all about. That's right. <laughs> 30 years. Of it is kind of fun. Yeah. What are we going to find next? Well, you know what? We also get ourselves in trouble when we are hypocrites, Kathy. Mm, that's right. We need to be consistent. You know, there's a Yiddish term. It's, 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 it's pronounced this way, chazer fizzle. <laughs> it's Yiddish for hypocrisy. And what it means is because you know how we're, we're, the Bible describes clean and unclean animals? Well, the pig has a cloven hoof. 
And if it lays flat out, it's cut, there's a term for that too, splooge. When they, they lay flat out with their feet sticking out, like, see, see, I've got a cloven hoof. I'm, I'm clean. clean. No, not the case. He doesn't chew his cud. So he doesn't, he's not considered one of the clean animals. So he's not the same on the outside and the inside. Exactly. So oh. that's hypocrisy. That's, that's right. chazerfizzle in the Yiddish. <laughs> and so I want, I, want, I want to give an example of this that has something that happened to me so i mean you 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 can you can think whatever you testimony? want this is my <laughs> testimony and i'm sticking with it no it really it really is this did happen to me i have a, a brother-in-law who is an atheist okay and he takes great pride in tripping up christians mm-hmm. with this with this line uh he has a he has a gay son a homosexual mm-hmm. son so he'll go to christians and say uh, do you consider homosexuality an abomination, as the Bible says? And we'll talk about those mm-hmm. words in a moment. And the Christians, well, of course, it's an abomination. And then he looks him square in the eye and he says, well, then why do you eat bacon? Why do you eat ham? And he'll watch these Christians go into tilt or you know, short circuit <laughs> because they can't answer. So he tried that on me. He came to me. He was in my home. And he, and he stood there and he tried the same line, you know, do you believe homosexuality is an abomination? I said, yes, the Bible says so. He says, then why do you eat ham and, and, you know, bacon, pork, whatever? And I said, I don't. And he mm-hmm. went into tilt mode and, yes. and short-circuited because he didn't expect that answer. But in being consistent with what the word says, God says, in, 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 and I'll give you a couple examples, Leviticus 18.22 speaks of homosexuality. And Deuteronomy 14, verse 3, speaks of the food laws, the clean and unclean. They both use the same word, to'eba, in the Hebrew, and it means abomination. Now, there's, there's a case where, where that word is used scripturally, so he was right. It mm-hmm. does say they're both an abomination. So we, what do we do with that? I know what I've done with it. That's right. But That's the question do? to the audience, yeah. what do is we do what, what do we do with that? Yeah. We'll just leave it as a question. We'll leave it at that. We get ourselves in trouble when we emphasize a generic version of love. We just have to love each other and love God. You know, all of the commandments are about loving God or loving one another. That's why Jesus said that these are the two most important commandments and everything hangs on them. Amen. Without God's definition of love as spelled out, In detail in scripture, we're each left to creating our own definition. We may have a neighbor who thinks loving your neighbor includes sleeping with your neighbor's wife. Mm. When we say that large chunks of the Bible are no longer valid for instruction, then we've erased much of how God wants us to love him and others. If we define love however we want, then why can't the world do so too? That's right. And I'd also say, related, when we follow our heart, the, the heart is deceitful above all else, That's folks. Right. That's what the word says. That's right. We must always check our heart against God's word. Amen. Amen. And finally, we get ourselves in trouble when we allow any version of replacement theology to exist within our churches. Are we not empowering God's, small g, mm-hmm. other than the God of Israel? Replacement theology is the belief that Jehovah is done away with Israel and has replaced Israel with the church. This theology was the root of the Inquisition of Spain, 
the pogroms we see all throughout Russia and the former Soviet Union, violent attacks on Jewish villages, not only you know, of Russia and in Poland and 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 all all of the, that region uh, mm-hmm. where where Jewish people were persecuted, and then the Nazis' final solution. In fact, Hitler's hatred of the Jews and his plans for their destruction was eerily similar to the proposals that were put forth by Martin Luther on, in his book called On Jews and Their Lies. Jehovah identifies himself as the God who brought out the Israelites out of Egypt. And in Jeremiah 31, God tells us that only when the sun and the moon and the stars have disappeared will the nation of Israel cease to be a nation before him. As Christians... We haven't replaced Israel. We have joined Israel through Israel's Jewish Messiah. It is clear. It is clear. You know, we're going to conclude this where we started. We started with the quote from Paul that said, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I hope that today we've shown that we indeed are wrestling with principalities, with Elohim, with Shadim, whatever you want to call it. And these principalities are the same ones that Israel wrestled with in ancient times. We read Yeshua's quote from Matthew 12 about the house that was swept clean of the demons. And then when it was empty, that demon returned with seven of his friends. Mm -hmm. It seems that this parable describes exactly what is happening today. In fact, Gary, I would say nothing else makes any sense except for that. You're right. You know, lastly, we've seen that God has set us free to choose to serve him. Yet, unfortunately, with our own behaviors, we may unwittingly be empowering other gods or principalities. Each of us has to take a really hard look at ourselves. Are we serving little g-gods or the most high God of Israel? Are we in any way contributing to the return of the gods? We're going to end with one of our favorite quotes, and this is Joshua 24, 15. But if... It is unpleasing in your sight to serve Yahovah. Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my house, we will serve Yehovah. Shalom, everybody. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.